Today we're going to actually talk about these open lies and hidden truths again. Remember last week we talked about uh, you need to struggle with temptation? You've got to fight it, you know. You, you, unless you're fighting temptation, you're really not doing it. And the only thing that happens when you start fighting temptation is you lose. Because the bottom line with temptation and the bottom line with focusing on the thing that's causing you the grief is that you're focusing on it. And as soon as you begin to focus on it, you're giving it more power. So if I have an addiction, like if I, was, if I, I have an addiction like smoking... And, and I'm starting to fight the smoking and I'm fighting the, the, the feeling of, of wanting to draw back and wanting to suck that stuff into my lungs again and, and, it, and I start to wrestle and I focus on it, well, then I'm going to end up smoking because I can't get victory over it when I'm looking at it. I have to distract myself from it. So I have to take myself away from it completely and change the, the, the dynamic in my mind and start thinking something else. So speaking to it, and telling it to get lost and then moving on to something else is the dynamic that God uses to actually get us out of the addiction. So you're not actually fighting it. Jesus fight it for you. You're just living in the victory. So was it really hard for you this week to not smoke? Was it difficult for you this week? You didn't fight this thing? It wasn't, you weren't fighting it. it was, you were free from it. Yeah, see, so that's what we're saying. You don't have to wrestle this stuff. You have to make sure that God moves in your mind to the point where you say, I am not going to do this anymore. Break it now and then walk away. See, the devil wants you to fight with him. Come on, let's fight, you'll say. Come on, let's wrestle with this thing. Because he knows as soon as you start looking at the thing you're wrestling with, he's got you. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so when we talk about speaking to the temptation... Tell it to leave and then moving on, you actually don't give it the opportunity to start battling with it. So that was sort of built on this idea last week we talked about, which says, uh, it's just me. You know, the problem is I've got this problem inside of me. It's all part of me. It's all what I'm feeling. It's the temptations that are in my life. And I mean, you're asking me to deny a significant part of who I am. All of those strong desires, all of those lusts, all of those things that, that, that are tempting me to do the wrong thing, those addictions on the inside, that's just me. I can't get free of that. You know, that's part of me. That's, it, it's got me. Well, that's the lie. And that's why you struggle with it, because you're struggling against, you believe you're struggling against yourself. The truth is, it's not you. It's coming from outside of you. It's setting itself up within you. If you're born of God, the Bible says it's gone and taken away and Jesus lives inside, not the, not the addiction. Jesus lives inside of you. And when he comes to live inside, he is in control of your life. Oh, you have the old thoughts that come here. You know, look, it's, it's simple though. It's a simple way. Come here, come here, um, Joshua. It's simple. You can't get into Joshua's head without going through some, some, some of his uh, senses. You've got to go through his eyes, you've got to go up his nose, you've got to go in his mouth, or you've got to go in his ears. You can't, you've got to touch him, you've got to make him feel you. You can't get inside there unless you go through some of those gates. Essentially, that's it. What he sees, what he hears, what he thinks is all built upon the input. Now, his neurological pathway, which is the, the part of his whole being which makes him feel like that, it responds to the input. So the input is from the outside, it comes in, and then his whole brain and his nervous system responds to that, and it starts to react to that. 
So if you can't, if you stop the input, you will stop the, the pathway. Now the pathway is what you think is you. But you're told to put off the old and to put on the new, which means, okay, Jesus now inside, he's living inside, so the stuff's coming at him, now he's got to tell, stop, stop. He's got to, he's got to stop the input. Well, how do you stop the input? Well, you speak to it. You recognize that it's input coming, even though I'm feeling it's in me. Okay, here it is. It's surging in him. You say, well, that's because some input has come in through the, through the open gates. It's come in, and now it's starting to make me feel like I want to do something about that. So you want to speak to that thing. Get lost. And it settles the input down. It starts slowing down. Well, we, know, we, know we, we know that's the way it is for us. Because if he's lost in his thoughts, daydreaming about some beautiful girl he wants to marry. Can't imagine who. But if he's, if he's dreaming about that, and I sneak up behind him with a bucket of ice-cold water, and he's not watching me coming, and then I pour the water over him, where do his thoughts about the dame he's going to marry go? Immediately gone. All his warm and gooey feelings have gone like that. Why? Because the input through touch was stronger than the input through his thoughts and his memories about the dreaming girl that he's going to marry. You see, if it happens, if I can do that, if I can do that in a physical sense, that's the way we're wired. That's how God wired us. You know, the problem is we don't distract ourselves from it. We, we talk to sin and then we fight and sin and we get the feelings and we say we can't deny that now because it's in us I can feel it in here you know and that's where we get caught we need a Holy Spirit distraction to cut it out and to take it away so that we start to live differently and we say no that I might be feeling that because that's the input that's coming to do now get that out there put it out and I'm going to walk in the spirit of God I'm going to walk in the new life I'm going to walk clothed with Jesus and righteousness and holiness. You can sit down there. You can cut it out later. It won't go in the thing when you listen to it. Who listened to the sermon this week? I did. I, did. I listened. It was good. You should listen. If you didn't listen to the sermons, if you haven't listened to this series of sermons, you need to go back onto the webpage and listen to them. And listen to them carefully. Some of them are long. One of them is long. The others are shorter. But listen. Listen to the sermons. I, I really believe that God is speaking to this fellowship about getting ready, getting pure, getting clean. And he's giving us the keys to do that. I really believe that. I believe God is, I think Jesus is coming soon. And I, and I think that, you know, we're going to be taken away and he's fixing us up before we go. I really, do, I, I strongly believe that. Okay. So this is what we have to be aware of. The devil wants us to own something in us that he can excite from without so that he can have a foothold within. Let me, let me explain that to you. Just, he wants to... Ex- Look, the person who is not a believer, who hasn't asked Jesus to come into their lives, they live in there and they, the devil's got control of their lives. I mean, the, the idea is that you're going to serve somebody. You either serve the devil... Or you serve God. You don't. Ha- you're not free agent. You know. If you think you're a free agent. You're not. 
You know, you're being manipulated one way or another and you're doing something that you're out of control of. Something's got control of you. Now, if you're in Jesus and Jesus lives inside of you, you're given the control to Jesus. And then while you, while you say, Jesus, have the control, you might be struggling with those controls because you've got to learn how to give him the control. But if you haven't asked Jesus into your life, you are under control. You are not in control and something else is controlling you. That's what the Bible tells us. It's either the world which is controlled by the devil, the flesh, which is your body, which is controlled by its passions, or it's the devil himself controlling you. But you are not a free agent. If you thought you were, you're mistaken. You're being controlled. So if you're a believer and you have Jesus on the answer, he wants to get back inside to control again. And the only way he can do that is he can excite from without something within and make you accept what he's excited within. So that you say, well, that's just me. And once you ah, good, now I've got back in there. I can control again. And that's essentially what he tries to do. So that's what you've got to be aware of. The stuff that excites you from outside to try and get you to accept that it's part of you. It's just part of me, part of what I'm feel, feeling and experiencing. And you don't actually resist it because you think it's just you. It's just me. The Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold. The, the, the word foothold is an interesting because it's where you can put a toe in, in, in there and get hold of it. You know, if you're climbing a wall, you know, get a foothold for something. He's put his foot in there and get some leverage on. He says, don't give the devil any foothold in your life where he can control you. That means he's not there now, so don't, don't let him get there. Keep him out. Keep him out. So today I want to talk to you about this lie. Sinning is part of living. I mean, it sounds like, but there's an idea out there that says, you know, if you're not really sinning, you're not really living. I mean, all living really is sinning. Like if you really want, you know, the, um, the bucket list. Have you ever heard of the bucket list? The things that you want to do before you die. What's my bucket list? I think it was a movie, wasn't there? Yeah, okay. I don't know what, I haven't watched the movie, so I don't know what it said. But the things that you want to do before you die, and, and a lot of those things are, before I die, I'd like to do B, C, D, E, F. And some of those things, well, I know they're not right, but oh, I just want to do it before, because really living means you're doing B, C, D, E. Well, there's no room for a bucket list. Living is not breaking the rules. Like once before, life, before you really die, you've got to break the rules. Because really living is breaking the rules, not living within the boundaries. Don't live within the structures. Don't live within the things. Real life comes when you break down the boundaries and be whatever you want to be in spite of what everybody's saying to you. Sounds kind of modern, I suppose, you know. Why not? Let's all do something wicked before we die. Because if you die without doing something wicked, you haven't really lived. Does that sound familiar? It's an open lie. It's out there, you know. Oh, they're just teenagers. So what are they doing? Oh, yeah, they're smoking dope. Yeah, they're having sex. Yeah, they're doing wild stuff. Yeah, but what? They're just sowing their wild oats. They're just living. What do you expect them to be doing? They're teenagers. Hey, that's life. No, 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 that's death. You look at the statistics, it's killing them. It's killing them. It's destroying them. And so that's the thing you've got to be looking at. You see, the open lie tells you it's okay. 
And when that enters into the church, it, it becomes a place in the church where it says, so like, like, you can't really do anything about sinful behavior, wrong behavior. You can't really do anything about it. You just don't preach too much about it. Just preach about God's love and God loves everybody and it'll be fine. You know, everybody just, God loves you. God loves you. His grace is abounding. Don't talk about sin and don't talk about holiness and don't say there's a right and there's a wrong. Just preach about the love of God and just, ignore the rest because you can't really do anything about it we're living in the 21st century you can't do anything about it there's a problem there because that means that the open life sinning is part of life we accept that and then when you get to the point where you say you know overcoming is kind of highly unlikely why because you can't wrestle against the stuff that you got inside and you never get them to change so don't bother even trying you'll empty the church before you get them to change Better they be in the church than to be outside the church. Just leave them alone. Leave them alone. Let them be. It's better that they're in the church and waving their hands, singing about Jesus, and then going out in their cars and having sex later on. They'll get married eventually. They'll work it through. You see, there's a problem here. There's a shift in society, a moral shift in society, and that shift now has entered into the church, and the, and the shift in the church now main, means that what happens in the church is we accept less and protect the less. And we think that it's okay. Well, it ain't okay, not in God's economy. It's not because the Bible tells us that, that sin leads to death. It will kill you. So the truth is, sinning is part of dying. If sin is not overcome, we will, everybody say, die in our sins. And Jesus came to free us from our sins. He didn't come for us to die in our sins. He came to free us from our sins. He doesn't want you to be bound by sin. He wants you to be free from sin. That's the truth. So sinning is a part of living, is the lie, but sin kills you. That's the truth. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, and some of you have your Bibles and some of you don't, but Genesis chapter 3, you get the first instance of sin taking place in Genesis chapter 3. And in that situation you get, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So that was what God said. Don't, look, I've only, there's one thing I, I don't want you to do, and the one thing I don't want you to do is I don't want you to eat of the of this tree. That's the only rule. Don't eat of the tree. So Adam was told that. He communicated that to Eve. Eve understood that. They both were aware of that. And so when, when the devil came and talked to them, she said, this is, the, this is what God has said. This is what the story is. This is what the serpent said. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So what he's saying is what he's still saying today. He says, you can sin and still keep on living. In fact, real sinning is living. I mean, how, how is it living in a garden and you can eat everything in the garden, but just one tree you can't. You're not really living until you're eating that one tree. I mean, think about it. You've got everything else here, but you're not allowed that one. Okay, so that one, oh yeah, but you're not really alive until you're eating that one. God says, the minute you touch that one, you're dead. 
And the devil says, no, 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 no. Real life is breaking down boundaries. Real life is living on the edge. Real life is feeling the excitement of being naughty. Real life is going for it even though you know it's wrong. That's real life. So he's saying the same thing today as he said years ago. You will not surely die. But the truth is, if you do sin, you begin to die. Straight away. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we have to face temptations and trials. Wow, that's kind of messy. <laughs> that's over, over lines, isn't it? So temptation and trials. The interesting in the Bible, the word for temptation and the word for trials is the same word. Same word. Temptation and trial. Temptation and trial. Do you see a significant difference between those two ideas? Temptation and trial? Well, there is a bit of a difference, but it's not in the word itself. It's in what is happening. So if I were to lure Joshua by a temptation... That, and I would try and inflict upon him some external input for him to take on inside so that he would feel something inside and be lured or enticed toward a thing that I'm trying to get him to do. That would be a temptation. However, if he's going through life and he encounters hardship and difficulty that press upon him and he is now bearing up underneath something that's very difficult, it's not within his control. It came upon him. That would be called a trial. It's the same word, but he didn't excite it. And it, There are things going to be excited because he's going through some difficult times, but it's a trial, not something of his own making, something that's come upon him. Can you see the difference? I can be in charge of the temptation and tempt myself by what I look at, or I can have a trial come upon me, which is not part of what I want, but it's just come upon me and I am now burdened by it. There's a difference in terms of how it got there, but it's the same word. It's the same word. And I don't have any control over trials, but I have a lot of control over temptation. I don't have much control over what is exercised on me, but I have a lot of control of what I allow to be exercised to me. So I can cut back a lot of temptations in my life by the way I live my life. But I can't escape trials. Trials will come. It's the same word. And it's the same response I have in those situations. I still respond the same way to those two different things. But one is self-inflicted and the other is inflicted by something else from the outside. We cause ourselves so much pain because we don't understand that we produce in the temptation we could minimalize the temptation if we got our heads right with the Word of God and did what the Word of God. We, can, we could cut the temptation back. We can't escape trials. They will always be there. But we know how to get through the trials if we got the Word of God and we're working it through to minimize our temptations. You understand the difference? It's the same word, but there's a difference in terms of how I approach the trial or what approaches me. If you come to me and say, well, Mark, uh, it's your lot in life. We've decided that you will die for your faith. And you take hold of me and you wrap me up in chains and I'm not in control of that. 
and I'm going to die for my faith. Well, that's a trial, isn't it? I'll have to control my mind and my thinking my whole life through that process as it's going, as you're exercising that upon me. I will have to be in control with the Lord over my reaction to you, to, to forgive you and not to hate you and, and, to, and not scream too loud when you're cutting my fingers and toes off or whatever you're going to do to kill me, you know? But that's upon me and Jesus will help me in that. Temptation when I'm in charge of that thing is something different. It's I'm going somewhere I shouldn't go and it's coming at me and I'm accepting it and all I'm trying to fight it and it's my problem. I've produced it rather than it's being exercised on me. Can you see the difference? Are you, are you awake? Put your hand up if you see the difference. It's important that you see the difference. Okay. And Jesus actually prayed a prayer. Now, this is a really interesting prayer because this is the thing that really set it up for me in terms of thinking about sinless perfection. And we all hate that because it's like something that we don't want to think about. You know, what do we mean by sinless perfection? We mean that I can get to a place where I don't sin anymore, that I live perfectly before God. I live without sin before God. Yeah, okay. Matthew chapter 6, it says... And this is the prayer that Jesus got them to pray. This is, how he said, this is how you pray on a daily basis. He said, um, <laughs> don't touch the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I, I thought, you know, when I, when I think about this, I think, Jesus, you're being unrealistic. If I believe that sin is something of, of, that, that, that I have to ex- experience as part of my life, then for you to ask me to pray, lead me not into temptation, would be a, a folly. Well, of course, you know, you are always going to have to have temptation. So there is never a place where there is no temptation. So why would you ask me to pray, lead me not into temptation? If it was not possible that I could live in a place where there is no temptation. Well, if you live in a box, Mark, and you have a white wall in front of you, white walls around you, you have no sound coming in, nothing coming through your eyes, no, no smell coming up your nose, because you know if you smell that fragrance, that will just set you off. No, no taste in your mouth. If there is no input, then you could stop any temptation, right? Well, that's what we think. We think if we can cut off all the input, then we can stop all the temptation. We, we, we obviously can't do that. It's impossible to stop the input. Huh? Yeah. The memories are going to be there. The smell. I smell the perfume. Oh, that reminds me of my old girlfriend. And off it goes. You know, I hear that music. I want to be loved by you, by you, by nobody. And then off you go. That reminds me of... You see, where can you go where you can, can pull out all the plugs and have no feed in? So how can, you say, how can you say, Jesus? How can you say, lead me not into temptation? Get real. This is an extremely tempting place we live but I think there is a place because he wouldn't have said it had it not been able or capable for us to reach a place of no temptation. 
I, I think we can't escape trials, but I think with regard to temptation or lures into flesh, I think we can get to a place where we don't produce more problems for our lives than we need. And I think that's what he's talking about. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, he says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Now, he said this when they were in the garden. Remember, he's, he's gone to the garden. He's just before he's got crucified or going to be crucified. And his disciples are sitting in a little huddle there. And he says, now, guys, he says, I'm going to go and pray over there because there's some bad stuff coming down. There's a trial of uh, humongous proportions about to take place. A trial, a temptation of humongous proportions is about to take place. He says, I want you to huddle here. He says, I want you to watch and to pray that you do not enter into temptation because you are going to be tempted. I want you to get yourself ready for the temptation and get yourself fortified to face it. And guess what they did? They went to sleep. That's not what he was talking about, getting ready for temptation. He was away getting ready for temptation, saying, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. He says, I don't want this thing on my life. I don't want to do this thing. Look, if there's any way, and he's sweating drops of blood, and he's just focusing, and he goes, okay, not my will, but your will. He's ready for the trial. He's prepared himself for the trial. He's got himself ready. He's going to go through the trial for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising his shame. He looked forward to what was coming. He was ready for the trial. I'm ready to go through the pain. I'm going to go through this pain now. He's ready. He comes back and they're asleep. Then he says, watch and pray. Says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, Good. get it, guys. Get it, guys. You want to follow me? Yes, but you've got to keep alert. Your flesh will cave in on you. You'll have temptation come up because you, your flesh will give, you, give away. So he's actually saying that there's a place that we can get to if we're focused and attentive in God, diligent in God, that will keep the temptation away from us. And mate, if you had a bad week this week, you'd be looking for that place. You'd be looking for a place of peace and a place of rest where there is no buffeting wind of temptation. You want to have a calm sea. You don't want to have the storms buffeting the boat with Jesus in the boat. You want to have the confidence to be able to step out of the boat and walk on water with Jesus even though the storms are blowing because you've got your eyes on Jesus and you're not sinking. You want to at least have that confidence. But that doesn't come just because you're, oh, Jesus is being kind to you. That comes because you are diligent in the way that you are dealing with your whole life and spirit. You're watching. You're praying. See, overcoming Christian life doesn't come with a, a magic wand. You know, like you come on in, and I hear this, and, I, and, I, and I, like, I like to think that God can do this, and I think that God can do this. But there's a danger when he does. Here's the magic wand. When I touch you with the magic wand, boom, 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 all your sins will go away and you will never be tempted again. Boom, boom, and all of a sudden he's standing there, oh, Jesus delivered me from my pain. Yeah, I like that. He's capable of doing that. But do you know what I know? The devil comes knocking on the door tomorrow. If you're expecting Jesus to keep on delivering you, he probably will, but you know, he may excite something inside of you, and if he's exciting something inside of you, you have to deal with that. Biblically. You have to deal with that. 
Jesus says, I break the chain now, you put it off. And if you think, oh, well, I'm feeling it, therefore it's got, it's, uh, Jesus didn't, you're stuck, you see, now you're stuck. It's come back and it's, it's owned you again. Yeah, I, hear, I hear a bloke and he comes and he says, oh, Jesus delivered me from this sexual sin I had. And I think, oh, that's great. Yeah. He was a minister of religion. I said, oh, that's interesting. I had to work at mine. I had to work out my salvation with fear and trouble. I had to work hard at it, you know. He said, oh, no, Jesus just took it away like that. That's fantastic. I said, oh, I'm just, I wish that would happen for everybody. Yeah, that's what happened to me. Two years later, he was dismissed from his ministry because he was having an affair. It's because he wasn't honest. He wasn't honest. And the honest thing is, you know what? Yes, Jesus can break it like he broke it with Quentin. But Quentin needs to stand up because the devil will come back. He'll knock at the door. He'll make those things go on and on. And then it's up to Quentin now. I have to work at sanctification. Yes, God does his work and you must do yours. It's both. It's not one or the other. It's both. So once he breaks the chains, you've got to say, I'm free now. And he, the devil comes, makes you feel some things. And you're not. I'm going to stand in what I have. I'm going to stand in my freedom. And I'm going to speak to that now. I'm going to speak to that now. I'm going to restrict that now. I'm going to walk in the newness of life. It would be nice to say all the bad feelings will go away. But I know that's not the truth. It doesn't happen that way. And you have to watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. So when we get tempted... When there's a trial on, the Bible tells us in James, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, like God is actually doing this. I'll find out what you're all about. I'm going to put these temptations around you and see if you cave in. God, that's not in the attitude of God. God doesn't do that. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So anything that's coming at you is not coming from God. So Farad is sitting there and he's having a great week and then all of a sudden a wave of whatever it is comes and sits over him. Cloud of darkness over his life starts to pray on him and it's pressing down on him and he can feel this trial of his faith now starting to press on him. That's not coming from God. God doesn't do that. He wants to encourage you and to build you up. He doesn't try and put you down. But when this trial comes on him, Fraud has can draw on God to deal with it. He can draw from God to address that trial. Because we all face trials. We all face temptations. It's whether we overcome them or not. The implication of leading me not into temptation is that I can find a place in life where I'm not brought into temptation. I'm not brought to that place of temptation. So that's what we're looking for. So to look for a place where I'm not brought into temptation, we have to look at the process of sinning. What is the process of sinning? What actually happens when we sin? Well, James chapter one verses one to chapter one verses fourteen it says and fifteen it says, but you, but each of you is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Well, there it is, right there in English for you. You are drawn away, and the word drawn away is. This sort of thing. So that's being drawn away. I'm drawing him away. So I'm, I'm actually leading him. I'm drawing him away. He's drawn away 
when he is, what does it say? By his own desires. So, okay, what? External force coming down, exciting internal dynamic. Something happening on the inside now. How did it get there? Through the eyes, through the ears, through the nose, through the mouth, through the touch. Something happened and he's feeling it on the inside now, right? He's, he's feeling whatever he's feeling is on the inside. So that now is, a, it's like a, I got you, buddy, because I'm feeling, you're feeling me. So now you're feeling me. I, the, the, the drawing begins. Now he's not coming. He's refusing to come. I can feel a resistance there. So I got to up the ante now. It says I got to entice him. Because the sin has something to entice. So I go, Ooh, she was wearing that last night. I'm sure it was his. Oh. You see? What are you feeling? You've got to breathe. You'll die. Ah, so as soon as he starts to breathe, the, oh, now, now he's feeling the, yeah. He's enticing him, you see. So now listen, this is all external to him. As the believer is external, he is now being enticed and drawn. It's like the bait on a hook when you're fishing. If you can make the hook and the bait look like a real fish, you got the fish. My son will tell you, it's, the, it's not the real meat, it's the plastic. It's the plastic one that, that wiggles like the real fish. It looks like a real fish and you put it in there and then the skill is, you know, throw it in there and then you wiggle that thing. And the fish looks at it. You know what? The, the skilled fisherman studies how the, the, the food that the fish eats swims. And then the skilled fisherman says, I want that flathead. The flathead, he does this. He eats these fish. And those fish swim like this. So that looks like one of those fish. I'm going to throw it in front of the flathead. It's not a fish. It's not even look like it. But it wiggles like that fish. And he moves it with his rod like that. And it jumps up like that. And it comes down like that. It jumps up like that. And And he does that in front of the fish. And and the sleepy flathead looks. Well, that looks like something to eat. I oh, threw the eye again. Because the smart man, he's put some fish oil on the, on the plastic, so it doesn't smell like plastic. It smells like fish oil. Smells like what I usually eat. And look, and it moves like it's going to be... You know what? I'm going to have a bite. Dunk. Bang, you got it. That's what the fisherman does. That's what the devil does. It's exactly what the devil does. He puts it right in front of you. You know you want that. You didn't remove. You didn't, you didn't move. You're dead. Oh, let's just move that a little bit there. Whoa, you eyes, pick it up. You just moved. I saw you move. I could smell that. Oh, yeah. I'm watching you now. And the excitement is started. The neurological pathway is now excited. There's a track of emotion and there's a track of passion. And there's a track of all this stuff going on inside of you. You're feeling the pain on the inside now because you're focusing on the thing. 
He's got you now. He's enticing. He's just playing with you now. Next thing you do, it says, then when desire is conceived, desire is the desire inside of you to eat the thing that you're watching. So it's this neurological pathway excited within you running now. It's like, oh, I'm just going. I just want that. I feel hungry. I feel desire. I feel, I got that desire inside of you. When it is conceived, what's conceived? It, you're pregnant with it. Somehow he got it in there. It was out there and he got it in there and you you let it stay there and now you're pregnant with it. This thing is beating in your breast. You're walking around and you think, it's just me. I'll try and hide it. Don't let anybody see it. But it's there. I can feel it. It's in me. I can feel it. I can feel it pumping away inside of my life. You know, it's the desire, desire. It's conceived. You hadn't done anything yet. You're not speaking to it. You just accepted it. It's sitting there pumping away inside. The temptation is pumping away on the inside of you and you're trying to cover it. You come to church to try and cover it. Think I've been doing the right thing, eh? You're struggling with it. You're not telling anybody it's there. You're not speaking to it to tell it to leave. So it's not gone. It's still there. It's conceived. And once it has been conceived, it gives birth to Sin. This is the process. It's there pumping away and you won't speak to it and tell it to go. Put it on the outside again. It stays there. It stays there. I'm going to give a baby to you. It's going to be just what you want. Boom. And the sin is what you do in response to what you're feeling in your flesh. The sin is what you do in response to what you're feeling in your flesh. And when it gives birth to sin, and when sin is, when it is full grown, it kills you. So you say, okay, well, I'll just do it once. Oh, yeah, but you know, you did it once and it felt good, you know, and then, uh, well, no one even knows I did it. Hey, I could do it twice. (laughs) So I've got a hundred now. I've got to make sure that no one sees the thing that I'm doing because it's a hundred. And it really has got a hold of me now. And if they knew what I was really doing, and if I were to say, you see what I am? Oh, but I wouldn't want them to see that because they wouldn't like me, you know? So we put on our hypocrisy coats. We put on our hypocrisy coats. We come to church and we zip them up nice and tight so no one can see what we are really doing inside. And we walk around pretending that we are righteous when we are not. We walk around pretending that we're just like everybody else, and we, and we just like everybody else is doing the same thing, you know, so, but we live in death. We are living in death in the church, but dead on the inside, because we haven't accepted this part that means that I have to keep on getting it out and not go that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us about being tempted. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. I love this. This is is really comforting for me. And I'll tell you why it's comforting for me. Because most of us, uh, if I were to actually sit you down privately and not bring you out, but I said, what's your besetting sin? What is your little besetting sin? What's that mean? What's the thing that you keep on doing that you know you shouldn't do? The thing that's got a hook in you. 
some of you sit there and say, I know it sounds really sick, but this is what I do. This is the little thing that I do. I don't want to do it, but I do it. It's just me, because you accepted the lie. But you think somehow you are not common. That somehow you are different to everybody else. But listen, (laughs) we is all the same. (laughs) There's nothing here different. The very things that you struggle with are the very things that we struggle with. It doesn't matter what the label is. It's the same struggle. And the things that we struggle with are common to men and women. They're common. Everybody has the same struggle. So turn to your brother and sister beside you and say, It's cool, hey. It's cool. It's all common. And if it's all common and I'm Mr. Average, I can tell you what you're doing. Did you hear what I just said? If we're all average, I can tell you what we're doing. Why? Because if I'm feeling it, if I struggle with it, you probably felt it and you probably struggle with it too. So you can try and hide it and put a fancy coat on top of it, but I know what's going on inside because I'm average. And if I struggle with it, you struggle with it. It's just the way it is. So if I can have freedom, you can have freedom. If Jesus can set me free from it, he can set you free from it. It's just common to man. And I like what this passage says. So you don't have to think that you're odd or not ordinary or you know, somehow strange to everybody else because no one else would have this problem. Yeah, everybody's got the problem. Okay, Everybody's got this situation. But God is faithful. And I love that about God, that he is faithful. He says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able. So he's actually there in the process and says, you know, this is a temptation. But because I'm living here, I'm giving you some keys to stop it. I'm giving you some keys to overcome it. He's not going to let you be tempted above your able. So he says, I can't, I'm smelling, I'm drawing, I'm getting cold. You know, and, and then said, Jesus, help me. And he's got a bucket of cold water just for you. If you commit yourself to him and say, Lord Jesus, every day, lead me not into temptation. Jesus has a cold bucket of water just for you to settle you down. I found that to be true. I found that to be true. When I get obsessed with something and I think I shouldn't be obsessed with this thing, you know, of, of, Jesus, will you just help me? You know, uh, He's got a bucket of cold water just to settle me down. You know, he, he's got a distraction waiting in the wings for me. Praise God, he's faithful. He's got a distraction. He'll work with me. I don't have to get besetted with this thing. He can actually do something to break it and stop it straight away. And he does that. He's there. He says, I'm not going to let you get tempted above your ability. So everything that comes at you must be within your ability to overcome. Say, nothing that comes at me is greater than my ability to overcome it. Say it again. Nothing that comes at me is greater than my ability to overcome it. Because God is in you to work and to will for his good pleasure. You are not alone. Jesus is in there and he's really desirous for you to overcome. He says, and you might not be able to get away from it, 
He says that you may make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear up underneath it. So you might not be able to change the circumstances that you're in. It might be your job. It might be your boss. It might be injustice. It might be circumstances. It might be physical liability. It might be things you cannot change. But he will give you the ability to bear up underneath it so it does not stop you from being overcoming. You will have victory. Amen. And this is the way you have victory. It's quite simple, really. Everybody read it with me. This is, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill or gratify the lusts of the flesh. This is simple. It's so simple, so profound, yet it's something you have to recognize you have to do. You have to walk Keep in step with Jesus every minute of the day, watching what's happening about you, watching and praying, putting your mind on what Jesus wants, on the Spirit. He says, and if you do that, you will not get caught with temptation. Well, that's what we want, isn't it? Isn't that what we want? Not to get caught by temptation? There's the answer. It's simple, eh? So here's, here's a key of how to do that in a practical sense. And I love that song that Jade sang, Rejoice in the Lord Always, because I, I think in this passage of Scripture in, in Philippians, we get a good understanding of a process of resistance. Paul, in this situation, is in jail. The trial has been fairly difficult, and he's suffering. But if you read the book of Philippians, you would not get it that he is in suffering. You would, you would think that this guy's maybe on a holiday somewhere. But he's going through difficulties because he doesn't know whether he wants to choose to live or whether he wants to choose to die. He's caught between the two. He says to die is the bit. It's so bad where he is that he was just longing for death. He says, I want to die. It's so bad. So don't think that he's not suffering. He's suffering. But he says, I don't know what to choose. He says, to better, it's better to go to be with Jesus than to be with him. Yeah, that, I'd like that, you know. And he could quite easily do that. Just speak bold words to the wrong guy and they'll chop his head off. So he could quite easily exercise that. But he says, I, but he says I'm torn between the two. He says, I'll stay for your sake. So I'm going to keep on enduring the difficulties of this prison cell because I, I'm going to write this letter to you. And I'm glad he did write the letter to us that he endured. Okay. So this is a difficult situation he's finding himself. And then when it comes to chapter 4, verse 4, we get an insight into how he is staying buoyant in this trial, in this difficult time. Listen to what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. He's, you determine your emotion. Say that. You determine your emotion. Oh, it's sad. I know it's sad. Cry or you smile. If you can't find something to smile about, look at Jesus. He'll make you smile. So it's awful and terrible. When that's all over, are you standing with Jesus or are you going to hell for eternity? Which one are you in? It's difficult. It's horrible where you're living. But when you die, are you standing with Jesus? Yes, I'm standing with you. That gives you some count to rejoice. Doesn't matter what you're going through. The flames are licking my feet. It's burning. I can smell my flesh burning. Doesn't matter. When it's all over, where will you be? Rejoice. You determine your emotional state. 
not the situations around them. You determine your emotional state. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always, at all times, in every situation. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident all. You determine your action. Oh, look, when tough, tough stuff tough comes, you, you tend to react. You know, he said such and such. He said that to you? Well, I tell you, if I see him, I'll tell him. Your reaction. You take it on in board and you start reacting. You know, he says, Paul says, be gentle. Let your gentleness be, let your action be evident. You determine your action. Determine your emotion and determine your action. Do not react in life, act in life. Can you see that difference? The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You determine your speech. Well, you can either speak it down and speak it horrible and, oh, it's terrible and everything is bad, wicked and villainous and God ought to kill somebody. Or you can start making your request before God. God, you see my situation. I'm just bringing it to you right now. I can speak to the thing. And tell her to leave and I can speak to God and lay my request before God. I determine my emotion, I determine my action, I determine my speech. How, how did this guy get through this prison cell and survive? He determined what he would feel, he determined what he would do, and he determined... What he would say. I'm hearing my phone. Someone's ringing. I'm glad it's not on. And then he says this amazing word, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. Okay, so if you take temptation as being a lack of peace, okay? Temptation, turmoil, trial, a lack of peace. So if I determine what I'm going to feel, if I determine how I'm going to act, if I can determine what I'm going to say, say um, then the peace will come. The temptation will stop. But he hasn't finished there. He goes on, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's any excellence, if there's any praise with, anything praise with, think about such things. So he said, you know, not only am I going to determine what I, I, I'm feeling, I'm going to determine what I'm, I'm uh, doing, acting. Uh, I'm going to determine what I'm, I'm uh, you know, uh, saying. I'm going to determine what I think and what I think about. So he's actually tying up all of those ends quite strongly. If you think about it, he's saying, I'm not going to actually put my mind on something that's going to disturb me. I'm actually choosing the path of my focus now. My mind is going to think about things that are true, things that are noble. Is there anything noble in what I'm thinking about? There's nothing noble there. Well, why am I thinking about that? I'm determining not to think about that, so I'll change my thoughts now. You see, again, you're actually working now your freedom. You have freedom to choose to think differently. 
You do not have to think according to what you're feeling. You do not have to respond according to what your, your, your passions are. You can think independently of those, and you're thinking differently now. So you say, okay, I'm going to think on these things. And then he says, and whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So he's now saying, you determine the practice of your life. And then what does he say? And the God of peace will be with you. So there it is. It's quite simple. Work this one through, friends. You want to have no temptation in your life. I don't want to have temptation in my life. He says, here's the... Here's a simple and easy way. Whether it be temptation that I brought upon myself or trial that comes upon me, if I determine my emotion, if I determine my action and I don't react, if I determine my speech and I speak to the right thing and I tell God about it, if I determine my meditation, what I'm going to think about, and I determine my practice, he says, God will be with you and the peace of God will, will guard your heart. You, listen, friends, walking through life is not walking from one storm to another. It's walking in peace. Walking in peace. In the midst of the storm. It's walking in peace. He says, you don't have to worry about the waves and the temptations and the stuff that buffets you. You don't have to worry about it. Just do these things. It's the hand of God. Think it's five things. Five things. The hand of God to there to stretch you out and pull you out of the water. Number one, determine what you're going to feel. Always rejoice in God. Don't give away to the emotions to say to be depressed and anxious and oh, fearful. Don't give away. Always find something to rejoice in. Always find something to act. Don't react to things like hit him back or something. Or Act according to the word of God. Always look at your speech and speak to the problem and pour it out before God. Always determine what you're going to think about. Don't put something in front of you that's going to make you feel sloppy in your brain. If you listen to that music and that music makes you feel sloppy in your brain, stop the music. Get something that makes you feel strong in your mind. Don't watch that rubbish on TV if it's making your head go sloppy. Turn it off. Watch something that will encourage you. Choose your meditation. And choose your daily practice. This is how I am going to live my life from this day on. That's the hand of God right there. If you do that, he will pick you up. And he says, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world leaves it, but I give it to you now. You will not enter into temptation because the peace of God will be all around you. You look at that, you'll find why you struggle. You look at that, you say, what am I doing that's producing the struggle? Oh, it's my reaction. As soon as somebody comes at me, I immediately go, bah! I'm quick to speak. I'm slow to listen. I react too quickly. That's the thing that's causing me my problems. Well, fix it up. You might fix up the situation. You might walk in liberty. Amen? There's a zombie church in the book of Revelation. I'm finishing now. The zombie church is in the church of Sardis. This is what it says. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write... We usually talk about the Laodicean church as being typical of, our, of us, but I think all of the churches have got some aspects of uh, 
problems in them. And, and we have a little bit of Sardis in our church today, not, not just this, this church, but I think in the church, you know, right across. These things say to he who is the servant, he, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are... So that's the problem. You see, we have a name that we're alive. And, and, and a lot of churches have a name that they're alive. But when it comes to sinlessness, they are dead because they they got lots of things happening around them. But they covered it all up with a coat. The kids are having stuff. The adults are doing stuff. You know, you know it's the problems in the church are, 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 that the church is dead because the same statistics that describe marriage breakdown in the world are replicated in the church so as many people are divorcing in the world the same amount of people are divorcing in the church what does that mean there's the same amount of immorality in the world as there's the same amount of immorality in the church there's the same amount of problems in the world as is recurring in the church this is because the the world is in the church no because people in the church have not learned to be sinless they learn to sin the same as, not to sin less than the world. Because if we'd learned to sin less than the world, we would, the stats would report that there was a, a, a significant difference. The people who are convicted of stealing don't come from the church because the church doesn't steal. They sin less than those who are in the world who rip off the government or steal from the government or do whatever they do. See, when the stats tell us that the church is showing the same amount of sin as the world, we know that the church is dead. It's just put a coat on, which is a problem. Because if you live in your sin, you will die in your sin. And this is not a good, this is not a good thing. I know that, it works, that you have a name that you're alive, and some of us think that we're alive because we've got lots of people in the church, and they think because there's lots of people in the church, then the church is obviously alive. We have lots of nice music. We have lots of modern stuff. It's obviously alive. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are, already, uh, that are ready to die. You know, the death process is already there. It's already eating away, and you can have a full church, but it be a dead church. God help us. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have what you have received and what you had heard. Hold fast and repent. That's change. Stop sinning. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know the hour that I come. And you have a few who uh, it says here you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. So there's a couple of people learned how to live right. He says, "He who overcomes." shall be clothed in white garments. And I will, listen to this, this is the scary part, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Do you hear what he just said? What he said, if you think that you can sin and escape, you are probably going to get blotted out of the book of life. Because that's the, that's the quick way to hell. Sin will kill you. Remember the lie? Sin is living. The truth is, Sin will kill you. So you get this opportunity to overcome sin. If you don't take this opportunity to overcome sin, then you're obviously dead and you'll be blotted out from the book of life. Not a nice idea. Probably Calvinists don't like that idea, but that's what it says. I can't say anything about that. He just said that. 
In Second Peter, we're told, and the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day that God is coming and speed it, it's coming. He says, the day will bring forth the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with the heat. That's not... That's what's going to happen. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth with righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Spotless, no sin, he's taken it all away. Blameless, you're not doing anything that's wrong, and at peace with him. What are the five things? Determine Determine your emotions. Determine those things. Look, that's living at peace with him. That's walking with him on a daily basis. Friends, I really think that we need to look at these things and ask yourself the question, do I accept sin in my life as being something that's just part of life? If that notion is there, if you think, I know it's wrong, but I have an entitlement to do what I'm doing, then... You've got a problem on your hands. I don't, know what, I don't know what you're doing. Are you doing something illegal financially when it comes to, to, to your work? Are you doing what, whatever you're, you're lured to? What are you doing? The Holy Spirit would have already spoken to your heart. He would have told you that's not right. You know, if somebody found out about that, you'd be gone if it's a criminal thing. You know, if it's a moral issue, you already know inside of, you know, have you accepted that it's okay? That if you've accepted that it's okay, you've got to deal with this thing because it's killing you. And I'm speaking like a voice in the night saying, shining the light into you. Jesus, if he came back today and you had not dealt with this thing, he will blot you out. That's the scary thing. He says spotless. He says blameless. He says at peace with him. Are you at peace with God or is there something nagging on the inside that says, that's not at peace with God, but I'm ignoring it. Oh, it's just life. Don't let it stay there. It ain't life, it's death. Deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. Smack it, hit it, get it out of it. Get into life, amen? Okay, let's stand up. Now, whatever it is, is common to us. That's the, that's the first thing I want you to understand. The thing that you struggle with that you have allowed is common to man. And somehow that way it excuses it for you. But it is not common to Christians and it's not common to Christ. It's not common to what God wants for your life. It's not common. And he has made you to be an overcomer. He has called you to be new on the inside he's called you to put off the old to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to clothe yourself with the new which is created in his likeness and his holiness now, i can't i can't look into your heart but i and, and 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 i know god is by his spirit right touching you right now but i want to let you know you need to respond today for this if you can look inside your heart i want you to close your eyes because i don't want anybody to look around now i'm not going to look around if inside you, you have tolerated sin. You said, it's okay. I know God doesn't want me to do it, but, I, but 
I'll just leave it there. It's okay. God loves me. God's love is bigger than that sin. If you're tolerating that, you're dying. You're dying now. You're in the throes of death. It's time to live, friends. I want you to respond to God and I want you to give it to God and I want you to make a, a determined purpose to change that this week. So if that's you and you're feeling that, I want you to pray this prayer. You don't, I want everything quiet now because I don't want to hear your voice. You pray it on the inside. Jesus, you have found me. You know me. And I cannot hide from you. Lord, I have tolerated something that you do not tolerate. And this is idolatry. You have convicted me today. And I am responding to you now. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. And now, Lord Jesus, today, give me strength to rectify and to make right the thing that is wrong. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.